the end. Feels so final, doesn't it? Endings have that flavor to them because it, it means something's done, it's over with, we move on to the next thing. And if we're honest, I think endings kind of stink. Most endings, I guess. Okay, most endings. You ever made a meal that you didn't like, but you made way too much of it? And you don't want to waste it, and so you have to keep eating it, and you're like, I am so ready for these leftovers to be done. Okay, that ending is a good one. But in a lot of different parts of our lives, endings, they're just, they're not fun. We don't like endings. We don't want our favorite things to end. You ever had a really good day? A really good day. Like your hair looks good and you're at work early and then they tell you, you know what, go home. You're so good. Just take the day to yourself. And you find a hundred bucks on the sidewalk and you get a great, it's like, you don't want that day to stop. Or vacation, right? You don't want vacation to end. You want it to keep going. In fact, the end of vacation sometimes is, is like the worst part of it because you're like, oh man, it's, it's ending. We got to go back to real life tomorrow. Or, I mean, let's talk about the real things that, that, that matter when they end. Your favorite TV shows. You don't want those to end. You don't, we, don't, we don't want those to wrap up. Because endings are, are so final, it means that thing is over. It's done with. I think, find it fascinating that the season finale of MASH is still the most watched scripted episode of television in history. 105 million people watched it. I was two, I was not one of those people, but 105 million people watched that show because they loved it and they didn't want it to end. Frankly, I think that's part of the reason why series finales are, are, are often so disappointing because when you love something, when you're invested in it, you don't want it to stop. And we have expectations, right? We expect things from it and when they don't meet our expectations, we're disappointed. Lost, How I Met Your Mother, I'm looking in your direction. I'm a huge Lost fan. My wife and I loved Lost. In fact, we almost missed the flight to our honeymoon because we knew someone had given us season one of Lost. And so we're at our apartment, like opening presents, because we have to find it to bring it with us. And I have friends who are huge How I Met Your Mother fans who won't even talk about the, season, the series finale because they're like, it never happened. Endings are so final. And on Friday, 2,000 years ago, it seemed like the end. Because Jesus, who'd come to earth, had spent time with, with disciples, had, had gathered these followers as he proclaimed this message of, of his fathers, as he proclaimed this message of hope, as he proclaimed this message of life, of what it meant to know God through him. But on Friday, he hung on a cross to die, and to his followers, to his disciples, to the people who, who had pursued him, who had spent time with him, it looked like the end. How could this be happening? They must have thought, right? He's the son of God. How could he die? He's the Messiah. He's the rescuer. He's the one who's supposed to come and conquer our enemies and be our king forever and establish this king. Our moment has finally come. How could he die? Imagine the conversation the disciples must have had when they found out that Jesus was dead. Dead. They killed him. Me too. We all did. It's all over. He's gone. What about us? Are we next? What about our enemies? 
said. Wait, 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 stop! Now what? What do they do? Jesus' death seemed like the end. I mean, what were his followers supposed to do? They had trusted him. They had left everything for him. And it was all over now. In fact, one of his followers says this in Luke chapter 24. He says, talking about Jesus, he says, He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. We had hoped he was the Messiah, but clearly he can't be, right? Because he's gone. It seemed like those who hated Jesus had won, like evil had triumphed, like Satan was victorious. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever wondered what's the point of all this? Have you ever felt like you're at the end of your rope? Have you ever felt that kind of hopelessness? That's how Jesus' followers felt at this moment. But that's not the end of this story. Because three days later, God raised Jesus back to life, just like he said he would. God raised Jesus back to life and resurrecting him from the dead, just as he said he would. Jesus is not dead. He's risen. He's alive. The resurrection happened. In fact, when women went to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body, they find this stone has been rolled away. It's not, it's not sealed anymore. It's not closed anymore. There's no body there because Jesus is gone. And an angel says to them in Matthew 28, I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead just as he said would happen. He said this several times, but his followers couldn't wrap their brain around it. They couldn't understand how could it be possible that this Messiah that we've waited for, the rescuer, the Son of God could be killed. How is that possible? But just as he said, he came back to life. And that matters for us. The resurrection is significant because it's God's victory over death his once and for all victory over death, God's proof that death has no power over him. It says that God cares deeply about us and about our existence and about our future. And that perfect forever hope is found in the mercy of the cross and in the grace of the resurrection. It says that death is not the end of our story. Resurrection raises us back to life out of the eternal death that our sin has earned for us. It means we were meant for more. It means that life is not all that there is. And frankly, that's a great hope because we have all had those seasons of life where it is hard, where we're discouraged, where, where we hurt, where there's pain, where we've lost a job, where relationships have failed, where we have made significant mistakes, where there are, there are ramifications in our life that we will not be able to shake off. And if life is all that there is, then there's no hope. Right? If life is all that I have, then when it's bad, where's my hope? But the resurrection says that my now does not determine my future. 
that Jesus' death and resurrection is what determines my future. That the hope of the resurrection, that God's victory over sin and death has significant meaning for us. It, it turns fear into joy. Pain turns into healing. Loneliness turns into belonging. Loss turns into comfort. Confusion turns into understanding. Despair turns into hope. Emptiness turns into fulfillment. And chaos turns into peace. That's what the resurrection does. Because death and evil and pain were defeated once and for all. And God fulfilled in his son Jesus his plan to restore his relationship between people and himself. The resurrection is God's plan to bring people back to him, to bring us back to him. Folks, the focus of Jesus' coming to earth was on his death and resurrection. That is where we find new life. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you don't believe this. I'm glad you're here. We're all on a journey and all of us at some point have been far from God and not understood what it meant to know him. And we are, if we would call ourselves followers of Jesus, it is only because God has graciously moved towards us. And so what we would want you to, to understand is we want you to be here and ask questions and wrestle because what I want to ask you is, what if it's true? I get that you might doubt, but what if it's true? What if there is life after death? How would that affect the way that we see life? As one writer puts it, even if you don't believe in the resurrection, you should want it to be true. Because what it means for us is that there is hope beyond what we can imagine. That there is significance beyond what we can imagine. That the resurrection gives us hope in the worst of our moments to say that we're not defined by those things, that there is a greater future that awaits us that is promised to us by trusting in Jesus. But it also gives hope in the best of moments because it says that the best that life can possibly be here is a shadow of what God has promised to us. That no matter how bad and no matter how good, that the life that God has created us to know in him is exponentially better. That's the hope of the resurrection. After the Civil War, a chess master named Paul Morphy was traveling to Richmond, Virginia. And chess fans back in, in that day heard about it and they invited him to a gathering at someone's house where they could play chess against him and, uh, and pick his brain on things, have dinner together, because apparently chess fans uh, in, in the 1860s were willing to nerd out when a chess master came to town. Big deal, chess master comes to town. So that Paul goes to this gathering and they play chess and then they have a, a great meal. And then Paul is drawn to this well-known painting that's hanging prominently on the wall of his host's home. He, he's fixated by this painting and it's a picture of a devil-like figure playing chess against a young man for his soul. And if you're keeping score at home, the devil is the creepy guy on the left. And, and as you can see, the devil has a confident look because he knows the, the, painting, uh, the title of the painting is called Checkmate because he's won. He's got more pieces. There are far fewer white pieces than the young man hangs his head in despair as he, he's looking at this loss in front of him. And Checkmate means victory is secured. There's no moves left. And Paul 
is fixated on this painting and studies it and sits there and he begins to play the chess moves in his head. And after a time, he, he realizes something and he says to his host, I think I can take this young man's game and win. And his host says, not even you, sir, could, could do that. And he goes, no, I can do it. I, I could win this young man's game. And so they take the, a chessboard and they set up the pieces exactly like this. And Paul plays the, the young man's game and wins. And people don't believe it could happen. And so they set it up again and he wins again. And they set it up a third time and he wins again and again and again and again. He wins all these games. Because what Paul realized is it may have looked hopeless, but what he knew, because he understood chess, is the king had one more move. The king had one more move. It may have looked hopeless, and the devil may have thought he won, but the king had one more move. Folks, that's the story of Easter. That Satan sits there, confident in his victory, arrogant in his belief that he has triumphed over Jesus, that the movement is over, that faith had been destroyed, but the king had one more move. That on Friday night, as Jesus hung on the cross, he was beaten and he was left there to die. The king had one more move. On Sunday morning, when the tomb was open and dead were raised back to life, Jesus showed himself to be exactly who he said he was the savior of the world, the rescuer that God had promised, the savior that we desperately needed because the king had one more move. Death is not the end. Through the resurrection of Jesus from out of the tomb, God snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. And the hope for us is that when it feels like life is too much, when you wonder if this is all there is, when it seems like all hope is lost, we can remember the king had one more move. Easter matters. If Jesus came back to life and is alive today, then he can enter our lives and he can change our lives. The two holiest days for Christians are Christmas and Easter. But have you ever noticed how we make a bigger deal of Christmas than we do Easter? Now, now don't get me wrong. I, certainly, I'm, I, I, love every, I love everything about Christmas. and all, My point is simply that we just throw the kitchen sink at Christmas, don't we? I mean, we have endless parties and... We decorate and we have Christmas tree lighting ceremonies and we have parades and shopping and gift exchanges and caroling and even a few ugly sweaters. <laughs> Easter, on the other hand, gets a church service and an Easter egg hunt, you know? And I, I'm all for Easter egg hunts too. I mean, my kids are adults and they still like them. They ask it to do it. That's probably because we put cash in the eggs. I don't know. <laughs> But, you know, by about 3 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, for most of us, Easter is in the rearview mirror, isn't it? And I get that. I mean, I, honestly, I'm kind of the same way. I'm looking forward at 6 o'clock tonight and to sit down and watch the Notre Dame women's basketball team play for the national championship. Sounds like me and two other people in the room, maybe. <laughs> but, hey, this actually happened one Easter. We had had a busy weekend, and um, it, the grass had started to grow, and I hadn't mowed my grass, so I got out on Easter Sunday night and mowed my grass, and apparently a neighbor or someone driving down the road who knew me frowned upon that because they called in an onion to the paper 
to the pastor who mowed his grass on Easter Sunday. Yeah, true story. That actually happened. If you don't know what an onion is, that's just, you can call in the paper and you can express your dissatisfaction with something. You know, even if you take your phone out, like an, if you have an iPhone and you type in Easter, you know what emoji comes up? Check this out. Come on. Yeah, but we can do better than that, can't we? You know, on Easter or, or Christmas, if you type in the word Christmas, here's what emoji you get. Um, so I thought, you know, let's go a little deeper in our research. Let's check out all the holidays. So I started to type in Thanksgiving, and when I, as, far, as soon as I got to the word thanks, this emoji came up. Praying hands. I thought, look at this. Thanksgiving's more faith-based, at least for the software writers for this, than it is for Easter and Christmas. Although, you know, I... I honestly wouldn't be too offended if I typed in Thanksgiving and I saw a football or a turkey or something like that. But Easter, for the Christian faith, is the most important date. It is our Super Bowl with a come from behind when. You know, Josh was talking about how Jesus died and took our sins on himself. That laid the foundation for our Christian faith. But everything rises and falls on the resurrection, the fact that God the Father brought His Son back to life after He had been crucified. Um, there's a guy in the Bible by the name of Paul. He wrote a lot of the books that we have in our Bible. And he talks about this topic. He makes it really clear how much Easter matters. Um, he has a book that's called 1 Corinthians in our Bible. And he devoted one entire chapter to the resurrection. It's 1 Corinthians 15. I want, you to, I want to read you part of it because it shows just how much Easter matters. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and all your faith is useless. And we apostles would be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you're guilty in your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are to, more to be pitied than anyone in the world. Let me sum up for you what Paul is saying. He is saying that if you take away the resurrection from Christianity... We have no Christianity. We are hosed. We're torched. We're cooked. We're toast. We got nothing. So it's a little bit bigger deal than maybe a new outfit or an Easter egg hunt. Uh, did you notice those six things that Paul talked about that are kind of like out the window if the resurrection didn't happen? First of all, he said our preaching is useless. There goes my job, huh? And then he says, our faith is useless. Everything we believe and stand for is just a fabrication and just falls to the ground like a house of cards. And then next, he says that, you know, basically we're discredited. He says that our message is just, our message of hope is just a bunch of lies. And the next one's the one that kind of grabs my attention. It says, if Jesus didn't come back to life, we're still guilty in our sins. I don't know about you. But as I look back over my life, I've accrued, accrued a pretty big pile of sins. And if I have to be held accountable on Judgment Day for all those sins, I mean, that can be paralyzing. That can be terrifying to think about. Next thing he says is, 
Your loved ones are lost. All that hope you have of seeing somebody again in the future because they've died and maybe gone to heaven and gone with Jesus, that's out the window. And finally, and this is like the nail in the coffin, we're to be pitied because we're just a bunch of fools. You might as well just lock us all in padded cells and throw away the key. But we have every reason to believe that Jesus came back to life. Paul, who we said wrote this at the first part of that chapter, talks about hundreds of people saw Jesus. He had died, but then they saw him again alive. And think about how Christianity has grown and thrived through the years and is still doing the same today, this message of hope. You don't think something would happen like that if it was built on lies, right? And think about the personal life change that happens in our lives. We've been hearing about it in these video stories this morning. When you accept Christ into your life, which tells us He's alive today. So because He has risen, or because He is risen, that changes everything. And really what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world is this. We believe that our founder is still alive. So... If you miss everything else I say this morning, and, and I know that can happen, I go back and watch the videos, so my mind wanders too when I watch myself speaking, but if you miss everything else I say this morning, because your mind is on Easter dinner, or an Easter egg hunt, or somewhere else, at least catch what I'm going to say, the next four things, alright? Because He is risen first, I am forgiven. Back to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. Paul talks about that. When Jesus came back to life, it was like God the Father's stamp of approval on what His Son had done. Our sins were paid for on the cross. And like I said earlier, I've accrued a pretty big pile of sins in my life. And to know that I'm guilty before God for all those? You know, I'll just give you a narrow window into it. When I drive sometimes... I kind of feel like I turn into a crazy man. Now, granted, people do a lot of dumb things out there, all right? But when they do those things, I have these thoughts inside of me and sometimes these gestures, you know? Now, I try to keep the gestures down where people can't see them because if I got them up where they could see them, it could be scandalous for a pastor, you know? So I keep them down low. But afterwards, seriously, sometimes I'm driving and I'm thinking, What's the big deal? They're just driving down the road. Sure, they cut you off. But then I think thoughts like, and you call yourself a pastor? I mean, if I didn't know that my Savior had forgiven me, it could literally be incapacitating. Second thing, because He has risen, I can change. There is an amazing verse in the Bible it's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. It talks about the resurrection, but it talks about it for us. Listen to what it says. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Did you catch that? The power is there for us. Fixate on those words for us for a minute. The same power that brought Jesus back to life, the same power that conquered death is available to you and me. And that can change our lives. We all have hurts. We all have habits. We all have hang-ups in our lives. 
that we wish we could overcome, but we can. And a lot of times we just struggle on with those. But the power that raised Jesus from the dead can change those things in our life. You know, there are Marvel superheroes who wish they had that kind of power, right? To change somebody from the inside out. A third thing, because He is risen, I can have strength, I can have peace, I can have purpose. And, you know, I, I could give you a number of examples of the promises in the Bible about how God, because Jesus is alive today, He wants to live life with you and give you strength, peace, and purpose. Let me give you just one. Um, take peace, for example. There's a verse in the Bible that says that He'll never fail us, He'll never abandon us. There are times in my life when I get anxious or where I worry, where honestly, I can feel His presence. And, and how that often works is if I begin to stress about something, maybe a problem I'm having, if I will pray about it, even though the circumstances may not change, the problem may not go away, I change. Because I've given that problem over to God. And it gives me peace. One other thing. Because He is risen, I have promise for the next life. What happens three seconds after you die? I mean, is that just the end? Do we cease to exist? No, we go into eternity. And if I know that Jesus conquered death, and God's promise to me is that I can conquer death if I accept what Jesus has done for me, then the Bible tells me I can have the promise that I'll spend eternity in heaven with God where there's no more pain or sorrow or crying or death. That's because of the resurrection. Listen to what Romans 8.11 says in the Bible. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, and just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living in you. You have hope after this life. And you have hope that you can see your loved ones again too after they die. Just a few months ago, my father-in-law died. And before he died, he was in the critical care unit at Methodist Hospital up in Indianapolis. And one day I, was, I went in to see him and I was really concerned because I knew his days were numbered. And he knew his days were numbered too. And my father-in-law wasn't a real religious man. He didn't go to church much in his life. I knew he'd watch some TV shows and listen to some messages from some preachers on TV. And so I went into his room, and I just said to him that day, I said, Bill, I said, do you know what's going to happen to you when you die? Do you know where you're going to spend eternity? And here were his words to me. He said, Jerry, I haven't been a very good person. And I've done a lot of wrong things in my life. But I'm relying on what Jesus did for me. And when I left his room that day, I walked out with peace. Because I thought, he nailed it. He got it. It's not what we do. It's relying on what Jesus did for us. And so my wife, his wife, my kids, his family, we have the hope that we can see Him again someday, all because Jesus came back to life. Easter matters.
It matters tomorrow when you go to work. It matters next week. It matters next year. It matters. Because it can change our lives. And so churches all around the world today are saying these words, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Indeed. 